trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people Working on important issues Here in Columbus and all around Ohio I'm Carolyn Harding And today I'm talking with Ohio medical doctors Dr. Ian Bett and Dr. Kate Kelly The need for and the path to single-payer health insurance or Medicare for all. Dr. Ian Bett is a family medicine physician practicing in Columbus, Ohio, with a particular interest in achieving universal, affordable, and high-quality health care for all Americans. He believes through appropriate drug pricing, the use and integration of technology in clinical practice, and most importantly, a shared vision of American values, our country will improve its health and wellness. Dr. Kate Kelly, MD, MPH, is a resident family physician at Metro Health in Cleveland, Ohio. Prior to her career in medicine, she worked in public health and health communications in Washington, D.C., She serves as the co-chair of Doctors for America's Health for All Committee and is a member of USA Healthcare. She is committed to a values-based, principled, and practical approach to universal healthcare through health system reform. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, Carolyn. All right. Well, according to Healthcare Now, the United States is the only country in the developed world that does not guarantee access to basic health care for residents. Countries that guarantee health care as a human right do so through a single-payer system, which replaces the thousands of for-profit health insurance companies with a public universal plan. This already exists for seniors. Medicare is a public universal plan that provides basic health coverage to those age 65 and older. Medicare costs less than private health insurance, provides better financial security, and is preferred by patients. Single-payer health care is often referred to as expanded and improved Medicare for all. Please tell us what you are seeing in your medical work, in your medical practice right now during the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's start with you, Dr. Kelly. So I work in uh, Metro Health, which is a public hospital. It's the county hospital in Cleveland. And so we're really fortunate in that part of our mission is to take care of everybody in our community. But one of the downsides of having the healthcare system that we have is that even in a system like Metro Health, where people do get care, care has to be paid for in one way or the other. And for those without insurance who may have lost their job due to COVID, who may have gotten behind on payments for their marketplace plan, they're unable to afford the healthcare that they need and have been putting it off uh, to the detriment of their well-being. And as family physicians, like Ian and I both are, we're very committed to whole person care and to wraparound care. And unfortunately, what I've been seeing recently at the hospital and in my clinic is people not um, getting the preventative healthcare they need because they don't have a way to access and pay for that care. I'm lucky in that Metro provides a lot of financial assistance, but so many of the people in our country do not have that option. And so many of the people in Ohio are really struggling to get the care they need to keep them and their families healthy. 
How about you, Dr. Bett? Yeah, I'm going to echo the same sentiment that Kate has. I work in a urban uh, hospital setting, but also as part of a medical residency where I'm working with medical students, medical residents, and certainly my colleagues and co-faculty members to take care of a relatively low income patient population. Some of those individuals are not insured. Some of them have public insurance, whether it be Medicaid or Medicare. And I think that the way that I have experienced the pandemic through my patients is that even those individuals who have health insurance, certainly the ones without insurance are suffering even more greatly, but the ones who do have health insurance, like Kate said, losing jobs, having to make more choices between when they access their healthcare, um, what healthcare they try to access, what they can afford. Um, you know, I have patients who were employed at the beginning of the pandemic, lost their employment, lost their insurance, found another job, but the job didn't provide insurance for the first 90 days. Thus, you know, they're having to pay their rent without uh, having any income for a certain amount of time. So now they can't afford the copay for their medications, even though they're employed again. It has created just such a massive struggle for many, many Americans, certainly many, many Ohioans to have to make decisions about their own health, their family's health, who goes and sees the doctor this month. Uh, even those who have insurance, if they have a copay for a doctor's appointment or for a medication, if their hours have been cut back at their, at their employment, they don't have that extra $10, extra $20, extra $50 a month anymore to afford some of the medications they were on. So I've, um, I've had to get very creative with my patients. And I've tried to share that with some of my colleagues and certainly educate the medical students, educate the patients so they can educate their community members and their family members about opportunities that are available, uh, even though they are, they are not good opportunities or options, in my opinion. So what got you on board for Medicare for All? What, were, what was the um, moment that you realized we need this? Um, let's start with you this time, Ian. Uh, sure. So, yeah, Ian is fine. Uh, we're all friends here. I think when we boil it down, um, you know, I think of myself as a, a healthcare patient first. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to have become a physician um, that was under the care of other physicians at some point in time. You know, I came to this reality in my early 20s when I was employed as before becoming a medical student, before becoming a physician. I was employed, but didn't have health insurance in my early 20s. And I had to make the decision between paying for COBRA because I was uh, in between graduate school and employment or just paying for the medications that I needed out of pocket. And paying for those medications out of pocket was just slightly, but like $50 a month less expensive than paying for COBRA health insurance. Um, and so at that point in time, I realized, you know, this seems like a really atrocious system we have here, but I felt like it was, it was my issue to deal with as an individual. And as I grew and aged a little bit and became educated as a medical student uh, about different healthcare systems, that's when I got different healthcare systems in the U.S., but also across the world. That's when I got very, very invested in my time and effort to figure out how we could do this better. And Medicare for All is the way 
as you outlined at the introduction, that is of high quality and value for all individuals. Um, but I certainly came to this from my own personal experience and have tried to thus educate others and work with others like Kate and yourself to educate anyone who's interested in learning what we could have instead of what we do have. How about you, Kate? So our job as physicians is first and foremost to be advocates for the patient. You know, the, the best lesson I ever learned as a medical student was the mantra, the patient is why we are here. I mean, without my patients, my job doesn't make any difference. And if you really believe in that, if you really believe as a physician that your role is to serve the patient, then part of that is to make sure the patient can access the care you're providing. Mm -hmm. And in our current system, we don't have an easy path for patients to get good quality, affordable care. And even our seniors struggle with accessing their Medicare through having administrative burdens that they don't understand, for folks who's, you know, maybe having age-related dementia or have English as a second language, there are already tons of barriers. To add the kind of um, Frankenstein system that we have built through the private insurance market on top of a already difficult thing to do, I think makes us as physicians not in an arena where we can really be true bearers of patient wellness. And because of that, because of my public health background, because of, you know, my kind of duty to serve patients. I got interested in how we can make it better. I believe that there are many options and many pathways to having a really good system. Around the world, we can look at a lot of countries that are doing amazing things, providing universal affordable care. Germany's model, the UK model, quite different, both all very good. In the United States, the model that we have that has been the most successful has been Medicare. Um, we also have Indian Health Service. We also have Veterans Affairs. Those are all universal healthcare systems for those. I think with the Medicare for All approach, we work within a framework that Americans are already familiar with. And is already something physicians and hospital systems know what to work with. And so if we're committed to providing universal care, to providing for our patients, we need to think about ways that we can expand the good programs we already have in place. And that one of those ways would be through Medicare for all. Excellent. If you could break down for lay people like me, um, single payer versus universal health care versus Medicare for all, are they all just a different expression of one thing or do they actually mean separate things? I mean, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And I think that a lot of times the verbiage does gonna get muddled together. And so Medicare for all would be expanding our existing Medicare program, which is um, what's called a social insurance model. So we all pay into one bucket and that bucket is protected and we pay for healthcare by um, taking money away from that bucket. Medicare for all is one type of universal healthcare option. Universal healthcare being everyone is covered. A single payer option would be, we have one person who's paying all the bills and Medicare for all would also be a single payer option. Um, the National Health Service in Britain is paid for through uh, taxes, not through kind of a social insurance pot, but that's also a single-payer universal health care option. Okay. It's a, it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot, and I think we like to keep it simple so folks can embrace it. 
Mm -hmm. um, and, and learn about it and not be intimidated by it. Now, if we pass a Medicare, an improved Medicare for all, what would this do for your patients right now? Let's start with you, Ian. Yeah. Um, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with Kate's assessment there. These are complex overlapping topics. And I think it, and I appreciate the fact that you asked for the differentiation for the audience that's listening and for the audience that's listening and watching us on YouTube later. It's important to understand the differences as you're listening to people speak in media or reading because they can be used interchangeably, but sometimes incorrectly. Now, to answer your question, I think the example I gave before with uh, the patient that I mentioned. So this is a father. He's uh, young in his 40s. His wife is also my patient. Both of his children are also my patients. In a Medicare for all single payer system, if this individual chose to leave his job, says, I am no longer being at this employer. This is not the job for me. Does not give me satisfaction. And I want to be able to go and do something different. They are not tethered to their employer for fear of losing their health insurance, for fear of not being able to afford their medication, for fear of having to choose, do I pay my rent or my mortgage or my childcare, or do I go see the doctor for this? I think it's an infection, or I have a headache that hasn't gone away in three days. A single payer Medicare for all system would allow Americans like exists in the rest of the developed and industrialized world to make choices for their overall health and wellness, not based on whether they're employed or not, but whether or not they need care at that time. And it is a very, very different world that we inhabit here, both as individuals, as patients, and as physicians than many people around the world experience. Like Kate said, in Germany, in Great Britain, Australia, Taiwan, Japan, uh, the list goes on and on where people don't make a decision about who they're employed by, whether they're employed, and how much coverage they have. They say, I'm ill. Here is Dr. Bet. Here's Dr. Kelly. Here's Dr. XYZ. I trust them with my health. I'm going to go see them today, not check their bank account to see if they have enough money for a copay or any medication that might need to be taken to help them get well again. All right. How about you, Dr. Kelly? Yeah, I'd like to echo what Ian was saying. You know, a lot of the work that we we do with USA Healthcare is a values-based approach to universal healthcare. And the American value of freedom, I mean, we we hear that from both sides of the political aisle. But what is greater freedom than deciding to see the doctor when you need to see the doctor? You know, so many of our patients decide to see the doctor when, as Ian said, their bank account has enough money in it, or they get pre-auth from their insurance company for a procedure instead of what their doctor wants, or they finally get a job that has insurance and so they know they can see the doctor. I mean, if we really, really believe in the American values of freedom, of liberty, of justice, a universal healthcare system would provide citizens of our state and of our country the ability to live their fullest and best lives. Right now, as physicians and as patients, we're at the whim of the, the market, you know, and the, the private insurance market. But everyone knows you don't decide to get cancer like you decide to buy a TV. You know, you can't 
use your healthcare as a commodity. So I really believe that if we have a universal healthcare system, whether that's Medicare for all or the, a public option like President-elect Biden is um, proposing, if we allow Americans to use their freedom to actually take care of their health care, you know, we as physicians would be in a lot better position to care for our patients and Americans would be in a better position to get healthy. This is Carolyn Harding, and I'm with Grassroot Ohio, and today I'm talking with Dr. Kate Kelly and Dr. Ian Bett. They're both physicians and working for a single-payer improved Medicare for all here in Ohio. Now, I come from a medical family, and I grew up, you know, when the insurance changed drastically um, with managed care, I believe it was called. But um, now the physicians in my family are open to a Medicare for all when they didn't, they didn't used to be. I think more and more physicians and nurses get it because they want care for their patients. Is that how you're seeing, have you seen a shift in the mindset of other physicians and nurses? Yeah, Kate, if you don't mind if I take that one first. Wholeheartedly, Carolyn, I think the educational work on a national level that for example, Senator Bernie Sanders provided the American public, whether people were in favor or against single payer or Medicare for all, the fact that it was talked about on a national stage um, and now for you know a half decade, it, this is something that's really starting to get uh, grassroots in involvement. I have had discussions with friends who are not physicians who were wholeheartedly against it. And when I first started talking to them, said, that's preposterous, who are now telling me, I think that's what we need. But more importantly, I think nurses, per my understanding and history of this movement, have been the forerunners here because they do most of the direct patient care, particularly in hospitals. And now physicians like myself and Kate are having the opportunity to have these discussions with more and more of our colleagues who see their patients not seeking care because of the cost. This has become a national national problem. No physician doesn't go a day without having a patient probably not show up for an appointment because of the cost or call and cancel. And yes, many physicians, when I've talked to them personally, or at meetings have said, this is not going to work. But several of those individuals in the last two years have come back to me and said, I think we have to do this now. Um, and the pandemic has changed some people's perspectives, maybe not everyone's whose perspective needs to be changed when we look at the human rights of healthcare in this country. But yes, I've definitely seen some change and I'm interested to hear from Kate uh, if she's had some of those same discussions or changes of mind. Yeah. So I think historically organized medicine has not been uh, embracing of universal health care. However, I think there has been a lot of kind of scare tactics around what universal health care would mean. I mean, there is all those uh, radio and TV ads in the Clinton administration about that couple that was, you know, socialized medicine and then there was the Canadian boogeyman. I don't know if it, I was a history major in college, so I, I love historical antidotes. But 
the reality is that we need to start thinking about healthcare as we do about other public goods in our community. You know, we decided that public education was important and we fund public schools. We decided that taking care of our roads was important. So through our taxes, we pay for roads. And I think that shift in how doctors are thinking about their role in healthcare as being more uh, servants of society and less as folks that are just hanging a shingle and trying to make money has prompted many physicians to start advocating more for universal healthcare system. And just from a practical standpoint, and I'm sure Ian feels the same way, the amount of administrative time we spend as physicians going through these insurance hoops, getting denials, having to prescribe different medications because there's not coverage, let alone the patient suffering from them not coming to appointments, could be much better spent actually caring for individuals. That's what I went to school to do. I know that's what Ian went to school to do. And I just, you know, I feel like many physicians are feeling burned out by the administrative burden and universal healthcare, you know, through healthcare system reform will help get physicians, you know, more aligned with what their training is and what they're passionate about. So what is the path? What is our path? What, how can we most effectively make this happen? Why don't you start, Kate? So Ian and I have talked a lot about this with our um, health, our, our group that we work with, uh, USA Healthcare. And one of them is changing the minds of individuals and in how we talk about healthcare. You know, healthcare, universal healthcare isn't a dirty word. It's not socialism. It's not, you know, us becoming Europe. It's actually, I believe, as American as apple pie and baseball. It's it's about freedom. It's about, you know, our values. It's about caring for each other in our community, looking out for each other. And that starts kind of right talking to people at the dinner table. You know, if you believe in universal health care and you believe in people being cared for, then everyone that's living in Ohio and throughout the country needs to be talking to their neighbors, talking to their friends, talking to their relatives. And from that, I think, you know, it's a trickle up effect as opposed to trickle down. We can start to talk about it more with our uh, congressmen, our legislators, people that you know are empowered to change it, and also you know think of ways that we can work within our own communities for states that haven't expanded Medicaid, for example. Ohio luckily did, but for states that haven't, to make um, changes for universal health care on a state and local level. How about you, Ian? Yeah, uh, Kate and I definitely share a passion on this topic, and we definitely share a passion. Uh, within a few groups um, that we're active in. One of them that Kate mentioned is USA Healthcare, which stands for Universal, Simple, and Affordable. Um, and so having those discussions around what we believe America is, what its values are, those are discussions that we have with individuals, our loved ones, community members, our colleagues around the dinner table, like Kate said, or at other events. And it's a different approach than what we've seen so far. The, the legislative approach that's been taken historically in this country has met a lot of resistance. And that is because of the scare tactics that Kate mentioned. You know, there are other groups, uh, for example, that I'm involved in here in Ohio, Single Payer Action Network, uh, that looks at how single payer would directly affect Ohioans. That group has done a terrific job um, with very minimal you know, I'm kind of on the periphery of that group. There are a lot of community members 
not just physicians, not just healthcare individuals who are advocating within their communities to their colleagues and their loved ones about how universal healthcare, how a single payer universal healthcare and how Medicare for all, which would be an easy step for this country to make to get universal healthcare, how it would impact them individually. I share that story of being a 20 something year old with a chronic medical condition, having to choose between having insurance in case I had an accident and broke my leg or my arm or paying for the medication that was several hundred dollars to make sure I didn't have an asthma attack. That resonates with people. Every American, if they don't have it for themselves, just needs to reach one arm's length out and they will find someone who's had that experience. So having those discussions, like Kate said, then they trickle up to the legislators. But like your show says, this is a grassroots effort to educate and then influence decision makers to say, hold on, these are my constituents. These are my family members. These are my colleagues. These are my friends. And how dare I not vote for something that's in their best interest? Because it's also in my best interest. We will all be ill and needing medical care at some point in time. And we shouldn't have to look into our checking account or savings account or ask to borrow money from loved ones to go see the doctor. And that's what's happening. We have one minute. Where can people go for more information? And um, what's your one word of advice? Start with you, Dr. Kelly. Uh, so for information, we have, uh, USA Healthcare has a YouTube page. Uh, we have some great videos on that. I'm also a member of Doctors for America. Just Google Doctors for America. There's tons of information on that. And a previous project that Ian and I worked on called makinghealthcarefair.org. That's a lot of great detailed information about what we were talking about. And, and one word of advice, I guess, keep talking, keep advocating. You know, the, the power is in the voice of those in Ohio and beyond, and everyone should be heard. Thanks. And you, Dr. Beth. I will start with my one word, otherwise I'll forget it. Uh, thank you, Kate, for going first so I can think of mine. Uh, persevere, that would be the one word. Uh, Single Pair Action Network has a website. It can be found. Um, USA Healthcare, like Kate mentioned. Another group that speaks particularly to Medicare that I'm a part of is the Committee to Protect Medicare. You know, if you look up universal healthcare, there are many organizations like Doctors for America, Committee to Protect Medicare, that are working on behalf of physicians and Americans to make this a reality. And I think we're closer than we ever have been, but it will take all of us advocating and persevering to make it happen. Well, let's make it happen. Thank right. you so much for having us, Carolyn. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Carolyn. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroot Ohio will now play on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org, 92.7, 98.3 FM, Columbus, and at 4 p.m. on WEJPLP, 107.1 FM, Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. 
There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back. 